Hello, and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. How are you feeling? I hope you've taken at least a few moments this week to practice some self-care. Watch that movie you've been meaning to watch, take a bath, cook your favorite meal, or even just take a couple minutes to sit in a quiet room and breathe or cry, (laughs) whichever feels better. I've released a new guided nightmare on Patreon this week. At the end of this episode, I'm going to attach the first five minutes so you can take it for a test drive if you aren't already a Patreon subscriber. I have quite a few new listeners since my first guided nightmare came out, and some of you may not have listened to that episode. If you've never listened to ASMR or a guided meditation before, it's probably going to sound super weird, but hey, we like to get weird around here, right? Anyway, it will be at the end of this episode if you so choose to listen, and the full version is available now on Patreon. I recommend headphones and a comfy spot. Another reminder that the deadline for kids' stories is April 1st. Please send them to scarytosleep at gmail.com. You can also email any questions you may have. Speaking of children, let's start this week with a classic children are fucking scary story. This story is by Lindsay Hepburn, who you may remember from her story, Tall, Dark, and Handsome, in the episode titled, Queries. This one is called, My Name is Teresa Eleanor Cowell. My name is Teresa Eleanor Cowell. I am 37 years old and live in the thriving metropolis of Tullytown, population 1,939. It's an industrial area on the banks of the Delaware River and about 36 miles up the road from Philadelphia. I am a recent single mother to identical twin 13-year-old boys. They are right at that age where they need me as their mother one day and hate me with a passion the other, the later being more the norm these days. I know I am a biased mother, but the boys are gorgeous. They have this thick, dark brown wavy hair, sharp square jaw lines, deep set chocolate brown eyes and eyelashes that cause me envy. No tube of CVS brand mascara will ever come close to what God granted these boys. However, if I am honest with myself, there is something about them lately that sort of sort of scares me. It's their bond. They're so... what's the word? Connected with one another that it seems like there's little room for me or anyone else anymore. I hear them whispering in their room at night, and when I come in to check on them, I get nothing in return but a vengeful glare. Is it strange to say I feel like they're ganging up on me? (laughs) Teenagers, am I right? They have not been easy, boys. We've had some issues with them lying in the past, and 
bullying younger kids. A neighbor even told us they saw one of the boys kick a dog. When they were around seven or eight, my husband and I had an especially hard time with them. There's one memory that keeps popping up in my head lately. It was a lazy weekend morning about five years ago. My husband and I were relaxing in our bedroom, watching a home renovation show on our bedroom TV. We heard crying in the living room and then laughing, then crying again. My husband and I traded looks and it was decided that it was his turn to see what they were up to downstairs. He begrudgingly got up and went to check on them. And when he came back to bed a few minutes later, he had a glazed expression on his face. He told me that when he peeked over the stair railing, he saw the twins sitting facing each other on the sofa, making expressions. One would say an expression like sad, and the other would act it out based on what the other had requested. He said it was such an odd thing to witness. Like they were teaching each other how to act, um, human. I was a little thrown by this odd behavior, but honestly, it was kind of normal for them at this phase, and I was glad that one of them or someone else was not bleeding. Young boys are such a handful sometimes. As I said, raising them was not easy, but the last five months have been especially hard on all of us. We lost their father in late November. He was outside on that stupid wooden ladder, hanging Christmas lights, and apparently lost his balance. He apparently teetered on the ladder, grabbed for the gutter, and eventually fell backwards, hitting his head on the lawn. It should not have killed him. I keep thinking that he should be here. He should be with us. But it was a freak accident. The coroner's report said that he died from, of all things, asphyxiation? He must have winded himself and fell unconscious and somehow stopped breathing. I can't quite wrap my head around how this happened, but all I know is the twins found him and they must have been so scared. I went outside after I heard a thud and saw them sitting cross-legged on each side of him, their hands on his face. I was absolutely frantic and ran over to them screaming, but they were in so much shock that they didn't even cry. It's a horrible memory for me, one that I'm trying to get past. Time is helping. It's April now, and the weather is getting better. With the birds chirping and the grass growing, I am feeling better. A robin built a nest on the balcony outside my bedroom. She has six little baby blue eggs, and she keeps vigil over most of the day, only flying away for a minute or two before she's back at her post. I showed the boys the nest through the window, told them that we will have some new winged newborn neighbors in a few weeks. 
Finally, they showed some interest in something other than murderous video games and forensic files on TV. The horror-thriller genre is my fault, really. I love all that scary stuff. My earliest memory of being interested in this type of crime when I was about five or six years old in my mom and dad's bed, lying next to my mom as she read. She read the thickest book I have ever seen, small black print on yellowish pages, not at all like the bulbous black print in the children's stories my dad read to my sister and myself at night. I was especially intrigued by the shiny, bright white pages that intermittently broke up the book. My mom said that they were not for children, but when she got out of bed, I would sneak a peek, and they were filled with grainy black and white photos of murder scenes and smiling family photos of the deceased and other true crime graphics. Since that time, I have been a fan of all things horror, scary and haunted. Stephen King is basically a legend in our house. My mom would joke with me and say, it's in our blood, and it was okay to embrace this side of my interests as long as I didn't talk too much about it. I remember giggling when she said this like it was our little family secret. When it comes to the twins, however, I should really be more aware of what they watch. The school has called me on more than one occasion to say that the other students complain that the twins scare them and talk about inappropriate subjects that 13-year-olds should not discuss. Tonight, for my birthday, my friends took me to Philadelphia to the library bar. We caught up over some fancy overpriced cocktails with ingredients like cherry blossom infused vodka and creme de violet. I was glad to have found a babysitter to look after the twins. It's harder to find someone to stay with them recently. Everyone is so busy. My friends, whom I have known since we were the twins' age, drank just enough and laughed too much. We talked about our youth, our families, and the future. Somehow we got on the topic of those mail-order DNA tests, and I thought it would be a riot to get one. We made up stories of who we thought we would be related to and where we thought we were from. I said that although my family didn't talk much about themselves, I knew Cowell was likely from the United Kingdom, and I wished that I was a cousin to the guy who was a judge on that talent show. The X Factor. (laughs) Maybe I could claim some of his wealth. (laughs) We drank more drinks and had more laughs and raised a glass to toast our family's past as we pressed order on the DNA kits. Last night was so much fun. My head was letting me know just how much fun I had when I awoke to the closing of my balcony door. I sleepily saw the twins come back inside and smiled as I rolled over again for a few more moments of sleep. They had taken such interest in the little birds who had hatched about a week ago, and I often found them outside watching the birds call their mother for more food. When I finally awoke again, it was close to 11, and I was so pleased to have had a lazy Sunday morning. 
I put on my robe and went out to look at my little birdies and witnessed the most horrible sight. My baby robins were ripped apart on my balcony, their tiny wings plucked from their featherless bodies where black flies had already started to land. An animal must have found the nest and destroyed them during the night. My heart broke and bile rose in my throat. The twins would have seen this mess and must also be upset. I would have to speak to them about this today. It seems like they had experienced so much death in their young lives. I called them into the kitchen. My eyes moist with tears, and asked them if they had saw the little bodies, and began to tell them that sometimes nature is cruel. They looked at each other and nodded silently as they lifted their right hands out towards me, where there was a small, lifeless body in each of their palms. I staggered back from them, and they said when they went out to see the birds, only two were left alive, so they took them inside to save them, but they must have suffocated in their pockets. It was not normal behavior, but I went into mom mode and took the little bodies, as well as the mess on the balcony, and put them into a small grave in the backyard. Then I said a little apology to the mother, Robin, on looking from the tree above me. I so wish my husband was here with me. The DNA results we ordered on my birthday night on the town a few weeks ago came in this morning, and the girls are coming over here this evening to go over our results. I've got the wine and the snacks and I'm sure that we're going to have some laughs. I'm kind of nervous. That's strange, right? It's just that my mom has always been a little quiet about her family, and I never got a word from my grandparents when they were alive. It was like our little family is more like a straight stick than a family tree. I heard snippets of information when I was younger, and apparently my grandmother had a son in a home for the unwed when she was really young and my great-grandparents raised him until my grandfather came into the picture and tried to raise him as his own. I think that is the reason there's shame on the family. It's really no big deal and I'm not sure why they are so tight-lipped. My mom won't speak of her stepbrother. I think he must have died at some point, or did something to piss off the family. I've had a few glasses of rosé now, and I don't think I can wait for the girls to come over to open my DNA results. I'm giddy, and want to take a sneak peek. I look at the twins sitting across from me on the sofa, both looking back at me with a sly smile that only raises one side of their lip. The movie The Shining pops into my head and I shake my head and look away. 
little weirdos. The rosé causes me to mumble under my breath. And I quickly look up to see if they heard me. They don't change their expression. I feel like the past few weeks they've been stalking me. Waiting for me around dark corners and quite frankly, it's creeping me the hell out. Shiver a little and take another large gulp of wine and feel the cool liquid flow slowly down the back of my throat. It tastes of sweet cherries and another flavor I was not expecting almonds. The boys look at each other and smile back at me, wider. I open the results and start to read. Part English, part Scottish, part Polish, interesting, blah, blah. Okay, here's some interesting family tree information. Great, great, great grandparents came over here from England to meet Lady Liberty back in the 1800s. Fast forward 100 odd years, and in 1951, my grandmother, Eleanor Louise Cowell, married Johnny Culpepper Bundy. Her son, Theodore Robert Cowell, changed his last name to Bundy. My head starts swimming. I feel like my body is getting so heavy and my eyes begin to close. I look down at my almost finished glass of wine and then up at the twins. They look back at me. The family resemblance is uncanny. My heart seizes and I grab my chest. The dark eyes and mischievous smiles. The lies, the bad behaviors, the baby Robins and the latter accident. It's all suddenly so clear. Just as my vision starts to go black, I see them both rise and sinisterly come towards me. I can hear my mom's voice again. It is in our blood. The blood that flowed through my grandmother, my mother, myself, and my twin boys is the same as that which flowed through the notorious serial killer, Ted Bundy. This next tale is by Dee Calhoun. You know Dee from the story The Room in episode 13, as well as the story Crucified in the episode titled I'm Not Dead. This week, Dee has for us fame. He hated living in the mid-1990s. He hated that his beloved 1980s were gone. He hated what music had become. 1980s heavy metal had been so much fun. Anthems of parties and good times and living free. Sex, drugs, indulgence that was bigger than life. Grunge had killed it. Teased hair and spandex had been replaced by flannel, 
in worn-out jeans. Loud, promiscuous women had been replaced by introverted girls. Songs about drinking and fucking were gone, replaced by mumbled songs about how shitty life was. He didn't need songs like that. He was already living it. He hated living with his mother, existing in her damn basement, hearing her scream at him endlessly, telling him that no one gave a shit about him, that his father had been worthless, and he was worthless, yelling at him to grow up and get a real job and move out. He had a job, but to her it wasn't good enough. It's no wonder that his dad had hauled ass years ago. Nagging old bitch. One day, she would go too far. He would listen to his music and wished he could play like that. He wished, but he wasn't instrumentally inclined. He tried to sing, but he could not carry a tune. He would have loved to be in a band, but no such luck. He wanted so badly to be known and liked. He wanted so much to be a part of music in some way. He decided that he could do that by writing about music. Not this depressing, murky grunge shit, though. He would write about the glory days of the decade before. He decided to publish a newsletter that talked about those bands and that era. It made him happy to remember those days that seemed so long ago. Maybe he could get some of the younger crowd to appreciate what he had loved. He typed his newsletter up in Word, one page, front and back. He had copies made at Kinko's. Then he launched a very clever idea. He frequented a local independent record store. The owners were friendly, knew him and his mother and where they lived. The store distributed a local music newspaper which focused on local and regional music. He had checked the paper out and, in truth, didn't care for the content. It praised this awful modern music and praised the local bands that played it. The paper was popular, though, and free. It always disappeared quickly from the rack in the store. He would use this paper to distribute his newsletter. Each month, he would print his newsletter, run, and head to the record store. He would put a copy into each copy of the music newspaper. He included his AOL email address so that readers could correspond with him. He thought of the interaction, the attention. He thought of the fame. It did not go well. For the first couple of months, things were quiet. Emails would trickle in here and there. One asked, are you a real person? Some said that his idea of distribution was pretty crafty. Now and then he'd get an instant message on AOL. 
Mainly curious questions, but questions nonetheless. Questions meant that there was interest. Interest meant that he was becoming known. In spite of his mother's constant complaining, he was happy. He thrived on putting his newsletter together. He couldn't wait for emails to come in. He couldn't wait for the instant messages to come in. Until those things began to make fun of him and his efforts. The people who didn't like his music began sounding off. They liked this new shit. They ridiculed him. They told him to get a life. One email simply said, Metal's dead. Shave your head. More than one asked him if he lived with his mommy. If he lived with his mommy. His mommy. Mommy. She was the nasally never-ending voice. She who was getting more and more exasperating each day. If only she would shut the fuck up. He became combative in his newsletter. He began writing pieces about how today's music was garbage. He would write rumors about local bands. Rumors that he had created. These bands were terrible, he thought. They needed to be exposed. Readers responded with anger, insults, and more mockery. Emails called him names. Instant messages said that his musical tastes were utter shit. These things upset him greatly. He brooded and became even more irritated. He wanted to be known, but not this way. His mother hounded him ceaselessly. She constantly compared him to his father. His anger boiled month after month. One day, he came home to over 300 messages in his inbox. At one time, this would have thrilled him. It would have meant fame. Now it just filled him with dread. They were all from the same sender. He had been spammed. All of the emails carried the same message. No one gives a fuck about you or what you write. Over and over and over again. While he was reading, the voice bellowed down the stairs. Get the fuck off that email, the voice howled. His help was needed in the upstairs hallway. Get off your ass. No one cares about the shit you're doing. He was then struck with crystal clarity. He helped his mother in the upstairs hallway. She never stopped running her mouth. She told him that no one cared about his waste of time music rag. He was never going to know any sort of fame. He remained silent 
He was through with this whole goddamn mess. He was going to end this whole goddamn mess. He had snapped. He prepped the next edition of his newsletter. It didn't take long. The content was the same on both sides. You bastards will give a fuck. My mother will give a fuck. Blood is on your hands. Fuck you. The next week, the next edition of the music paper was released. That afternoon, he stuffed the paper with his newsletter. There were looks and some giggles from people as he did so. His clothes were dirty and his hair greasy. He heard someone say loser as he exited. He walked around for the rest of the afternoon, waiting for darkness. He headed home. He brooded. He wept. He let the anger boil and fester. He thought of the telltale heart. His eye would torture me no more. That voice would torture him no more. Nothing would. His mother was sitting on the front porch. She wasn't alone. Who was with her? He approached and a voice shouted his name. The voice also told him to freeze. The police were here. Someone had given a fuck about what he had written. Too quickly, though. He still had to finish. He ran at his mother. He was hit on both sides and dragged to the ground. He screamed that he had to finish. Had to finish. His mother wept as he was taken away. The next day, his face appeared in dozens of regional newspapers. He was talked about on the local news. He was talked about amongst local music fans and musicians. He awaited his fate, not even realizing that his mother had been wrong. People certainly were giving a fuck about what he planned to do. And fame was finally his. We end off this week with a story by Reddit user Silas Crane. I will put a link to their profile in the show notes. They have a ton of other fantastic stories to read. This one, well, it totally made me cry. So I wanted to end off the night with something that will hopefully make you feel as many feelings as I did. This is, I had to put my dog down today. Jinx? I asked the little Jack Russell Terrier that sat on my chair. She confirmed. But... Didn't you? She interrupted, hopping down from the chair. I crouched down to meet her halfway, like I always had. 
and laughed, despite my confusion as she rose on her little hind legs and licked my face, like she always had. Truth be told, I don't really like little dogs that much. But Jinx, she was no little dog. She was a working dog. And she was death incarnate to all vermin that dared encroach on her master's five acres. She was those things. But then, she got cancer. Figures that damn disease would have to steal my dog from me. Just like it stole my Irene. So I'd had to put Jinx down. Now, I was a soldier and I saw a lot of men die. But except for when Irene passed, I don't know anything I ever saw in the war was as hard for me to watch as that needle being pushed into my best friend while I looked on, powerless to do anything but hold her frail little form and tell her what a good girl she was. It crushed me. And yet, here she was, alive and frisky as a pup, or else she was dead but still too damn stubborn to let that stop her from getting me to scratch her behind the ears. That seemed like jinx. I had thought my little gal was gone forever, but I guess I was wrong. Wrong again, Jack, as Irene used to say so playfully whenever I made some dumb mistake and was feeling down or talking bad about myself. That was her way of reminding me that I was the man she loved, the man she chose to marry, which meant I couldn't possibly be as bad as all that. God above, but I miss that good woman. Jinx broke away from me suddenly and dashed to the door of my study. Rearing up on her hind legs, she placed her forepaws on the door, looked back at me and barked sharply. I knew that bark. Her alarm bark. My mouth set in a grim line. So, that's why you came back to me, girl, I asked softly. We got us a rat? The thing is, the country house has been rat-free for years, thanks to Jinx. There had been rumors in town, though. The meth heads. Breaking into folks' houses out here, looking for stuff to steal and pawn. I reckon that if old Jinx smelled her a rat, it was the two-legged kind. The thought of someone like that breaking into my house, especially considering who I had staying with me tonight, that got my dander up but good. Easy girl, I said, calmly, as I drew out the Glock I kept in my desk drawer and checked it, drawing the slide back. I crept out into the living room, my eyes darting left and right. Jinx prowled out in front of me, sniffling along the floor like she was trying to pick up something's trail. I noted Tom, my eldest, asleep on the couch. He didn't need to do that. He ought to be upstairs with Sharon and the little ones, but... Hell, I guess he was probably worried about me. God bless that boy. Finds out his old man's dog has to be put down, so he brings the whole clan. Wife, kids, and all, out to the boonies just to be with his ornery old dad. Just when I needed him. I didn't tell my son near enough how much I loved him. 
how proud I was, but then at least I had told him so after he showed up at my door last night. I thought of waking him, but then, nah, get some sleep, Tommy, I thought. Your papa's got this one. Jinx skittered unsteadily across the slick hardwood in her excitement and ran into the front door. Recovering instantly, she started sniffling along the thin line of early dawn light creeping through the crack at the bottom of the door, letting out a confusing mix of soft growls and plaintive whines. What is it, girl? Who's out there, huh? I whispered softly as I quietly eased open the bolt, my Glock at the ready. I began to carefully open the door a crack, but the moment it was wide enough for her to slip through, Jinx darted outside with a loud yip. Daggone it, Jinx. She had never jumped the gun like that when she was alive. Forgetting in that moment that whatever was outside probably couldn't hurt a dog that had been put to sleep yesterday, I dove after her and caught her by the collar. <laughs> I guess I was still pretty damn spry for an old fart. No, stay, I hissed. Then I looked up. At the end of the front walk stood Irene, as young and beautiful as the day I met her. I stared at her, then looked down at Jinx, who was now panting happily, looking between me and the impossible apparition of my departed wife. That was when, in the growing light, I took notice of the hand that still held Jinx's collar. It was free of all the wrinkles, scars, and age spots I'd grown used to over the years. As tears began to fill my eyes, I slowly looked back up at Irene. God above, but her smile was beautiful. Hi. Well... Well, I'll be, I'll be damned, I said hoarsely. Irene laughed, that beautiful musical laugh of hers, and beamed at me. Wrong again, Jack. listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's stories. This week's soothing sound to play you to sleep is a crackly candle I use in my true crime ASMR episodes on Patreon. Thank you, Emily Grayson, for writing to me and letting me know what soothing sound you like. I hope this is the kind of candle you were talking about. If not, I can try again next week. You too can request a soothing sound for me to play over the outro of my show. Just use the contact form at scareyoutosleep.com and let me know what sound you like to relax to. Now, on to this week's Patreon shoutouts. I send you all so much love and gratitude. I'm still absolutely awestruck that you have chosen to support me and my show. Thank you so much to Michael Joseph, September Grace, Kate Toomey, Cynthia Soto, 
Jen Jones, Jamila Van Dyke Bailey. Also, thank you again for sharing that poem with me, Jamila. It really was beautiful. Anne Stewart, Lorraine Crisanto, Robert Colaton, Caitlin, and Kimberly Carolitis. Please let me know if I pronounced that wrong. Again, I really do try to look up the pronunciations of your names, and sometimes Google just comes up with nothing. (laughs) If I could hug you all right now, I would. Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Scare You to Sleep. You can follow the, or you can join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash Scare You to Sleep. Send me your stories. I almost have enough true stories to do another True Tales episode. So if you've ever had anything scary happen to you, be it be by ghost, UFO, cryptid, or the scariest of all, man, send it in to sleep at gmail.com. I think that's all for now. Remember, I will be playing the first five minutes of my newest guided nightmare at the end of this episode. So stick around if you're interested in that. Now, go get some sleep. Sweet dreams. I missed you. It feels like it's been forever. I'm so glad you've taken the time to visit with me. You look magnificent, just stunning. But I can tell that you're tired. Like the light around you is a little subdued. Why don't we go on a journey together? Would you like that? Okay, let's go. Find a soft and safe space to sit or lay down. Make sure you have something near you to drink in case you get thirsty. Something that will calm you like some tea or even just a glass of water. Sit back and let's do something a little different this time. Close your eyes. I want you to place one hand palm up. Now, with your other hand, lightly run your fingertips slowly up and down the arm of the hand that you have palm up. Start at the palm and gently caress your arm up and down. As you do that, I want you to breathe three, four, and out. 
switch hands and run your fingertips along your other arm. Breathe in. Take your index fingers and I want you to trace your entire face. You are so deserving of love and care. I believe touch is a huge part of that. Just take a moment to trace your eyes down the bridge of your nose to your lips. Lightly Make little circles on your forehead and your cheeks. Go lightly up the sides of your neck and outline your jaw and your entire beautiful face. Now, let your arms rest. Keep breathing deeply way down to your belly. While keeping your physical eyes closed, I'd like you to open your mind's eye. Welcome own personal train compartment. It looks like you've stepped back into another era. You're surrounded by dark wood and velvet cushions. It's late at night and from the quiet, it seems that everyone else in your car has decided to get some sleep. You stare out the window of the passing forest taking note of the snow beginning to fall. Grateful for the fact that the inside of your compartment seems to be just the right temperature, despite the weather outside. You're just beginning to doze off when the train comes to a sudden stop. 